Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Sit Rut Podcast. Not only are we recording, but we are live. Surprise, we are live. Um, this is going to be a very abbreviated show because it is Gen Con weekend. And you can join the conversation you wish. Uh, if you go over to our Discord server, you can jump on. I've posted the link. Uh, you should be getting that across all of our platforms. Um, if anybody has a topic they'd like to talk about, we're going to catch up with Jim about Opsin or what we can expect in episode two. We'll talk about episode one now that it's been out. Uh, we're going to catch up with Ralph and the projects he's working on. And hopefully Chris will be joining us soon to talk about stuff he's been doing over on his site, Walk About Games. He's doing some playtesting on a modern rule set. And then I'm going to talk about uh, what I've been up to as well. And then anything else that comes up in topics. So, as always, we want to welcome Ralph and Jim to the show. Oh, thanks very much. It's good to be here. Hey, folks. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing the energy in this room today. <laughs> <laughs> it must be the Midsummer so Blues. Bad. So, as you all know, this is Gen Con Weekend, the biggest game show, I would say, in the world. Some people would probably disagree with me and say Essen is the biggest one, but um, here, at least in the U.S., we'll say it's the biggest one. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on, and unfortunately, uh, Dawn and I are not there this year to cover it. Uh, we had to take a break uh, this year. Our just convention legs had just given out. So we are taking uh, this year off. We'll be back in full steam next year with a full um, schedule of coverage for different things and definitely we are doing historicon next year um i was so go. jealous when jim got to go and i'm sitting here watching him do it and the stuff that i was seeing i was like oh i so missed out on the e chance so we'll definitely be working on that so let's talk op center oh okay so the first episode came out and you know i'm gonna toot our horn and i'm gonna slap you on the back and say that was a really great episode i liked how you intertwined a lot of uh gaming into this one and i liked the big overview of it i have to ask jim how do you come yeah. up with this material um a, a wasted ruined life of reading too many of these books is <laughs> <laughs> how, it's, how it's come up um it really is i mean just a lot of work the the as far as like where the material comes from the the only challenge isn't you know coming up with the material it's what it's what to leave out because i mean i mean if anyone's seen the episode so far we cover what's basically a 30-year war in about 15 minutes um you have to sand off a lot of corners you have to leave a lot out and uh you know people ask writers you know what's the difference between a writer and an author or you know how long would it take you to write, you know, a thousand words? I'm like, well, I can write a thousand words in a day. If you want 500 words, give me a week. Right. Um, you know, the shorter the, the shorter the content, the tougher it is to come out with. Um, we've been trying to make these episodes shorter and shorter uh, to make them, you know, more digestible, you know, more views, you know, more accessible to the community or whatever. And of course, you know, working in that gaming angle, we, we never want to lose sight of that gaming angle. Um, this episode, I realized, was a, was kind of heavy on, on the history and the overview. But again, that the, the groundwork is kind of laid out. And, um, you know, if and, and you know for future episodes it's going to be you know more focused on individual aspects of the vietnam war um and how they pertain specifically to the gaming table 
Nice. So all the the um, miniatures and stuff we saw in the first episode, is that all your stuff and your creations? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, one of the reasons I wanted to do Vietnam is the um, very scholarly and, uh, you know, hard-driven um, reason being that I had a lot of miniatures lying around for it. And uh, <laughs> I, already, I already had a bunch of photos taken and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so it's easier to, you know, it's, it's easier to do. For the Falklands uh, that we did previously, we didn't really have a lot of miniatures for it. So it was a lot of Hex Encounter stuff. It was a lot of computer games. Naval Command by Rory Crab, Air War C-21 by uh, Wessex Games. And that was all great. But for this one, I wanted to do something that actually, you know, had some miniatures in it. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And I have to ask, where do you find the time to do all that stuff? You, you know, between creating this content and then you get to do all these, you know, miniature stuff. I can barely find time to tie my shoes. Uh, it's what it's what, you know, three o'clock in the morning was, was made for. <laughs> and uh, that's not hyperbole. I mean, I'm, I'm writing the script while sitting on the toilet sometimes. It's literally... 24 seven. Um, obviously, you know, we all have jobs. I've got a full-time job, you know, doing master material data for a pretty, uh, pretty serious tech company. That's a, that's at least 10, sometimes 12 hours a day, sometimes weekends, one, sometimes two Twitch streams a week, op center, uh, two, sometimes three games a week and, uh, YouTube videos on top of that. It's, um, it's a lot. And, um, that's, you know, again, on top of, you know, the usual, you know, full-time job, you know, house, friends, family, girlfriend, you know, it's, it, it's a lot. Uh, I'm averaging about five hours of sleep a night and it's getting, uh, it's getting a little tough to be, per- to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it does. So let's talk about the frequency of the op center. So uh, Jim and I have been talking and, you know, Jim was cranking out op centers left, right, and center. Um, so we wanted to let everybody know that, we're going to be adjusting the schedule of the op centers because it takes a lot of work in it. I mean, a ton of work. And, you know, for one person to be doing all that, you know, besides your real world life, um, it's just too much and it burns you out. And we, this is supposed to be fun. And, you know, we want people to be engaged and not to be just a chore. So uh, what are what is the schedule coming up for each series? What are we looking at, Jim? Um, well, whether by accident or just the way things have you know worked out, we're we're falling into this, uh, which is perfectly fine. Um, we're we're falling into this um, this uh, cadence, so to speak, of a topic being covered in about four episodes. Um, the first one was intentional; that was Arab Israeli wars. There's four major Arab Israeli wars to cover. You know, one, two, three, four. We're done. Um, the Falklands series was supposed to be three episodes. I got halfway through episode two in the script and realized that I was not going to make it. So that one became four. And now Vietnam almost became four by default. Uh, Vietnam, of course, being you know our, our most recent off-center topic. So, um, again, almost by accident, we've fallen into this four, almost like it was back when you know we used to do um, – articles on on tabletop mm-hmm. four or so pieces of content per topic um they uh, run out every two weeks is kind of what we're aiming at they take about a week to do um it's it's about an hour per minute of footage uh so you know a 25 minute video takes 25 hours yeah. so the better part of a work week um to actually create again working on working at home and so on and um you know, in the car and, and, you know, wherever you can find an extra, you know, 10, 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, the week in between is like for actual hobby or something like that. But um, what was I going to say? So four episodes per topic and then, you know, maybe a month off in between. So for for a topic, it's going to be two months. Four episodes, two weeks equals eight weeks, roughly two months. Take a month off, do the next one. So two months on, one month off is the, uh, is, is the summary of that. Perfect. So just so – and I think, you know what, that makes people look forward to the next series without being overloaded with content. Um, you know, because after a while, people, you know, just kind of get burned out. Not And the content's amazing. I I – I learn a lot from the shows, to be honest with you. I mean, the amount of stuff that you're able to put in there, you know, I thought I, I knew Vietnam pretty well. And the the depth of the material you put in there, it's I learn stuff. I really enjoy it when I get to edit it and, you know, make sure, you know, everything looks good before we upload it. Um, so I look forward to it. And I know a lot of people do. And, um, you know, as this series cranks out, we'll see more people sharing. I've, I've seen some really good comments. I don't know if you've seen them. Jim, but there was a couple of comments um, off. I believe it was the YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, I've replied to the ones on YouTube. Yeah, so I mean, people are really excited to see it come back out. Um, so you know, on Facebook, I think we've had a few others as well. So it is definitely, um, you know, one of the more happily followed things that we do on the podcast. So, what can we look forward to in this next episode? Right, without giving too much away, obviously. Um, I, I, we're we're still writing the script, so I really okay. don't know. Okay. Um, we have like some general topics laid out um, that we've already talked about in part one and in the comments uh, underneath YouTube in part one, and it, uh, it's going to be like, okay, we've we've done the heavy loading as far as the history part of it goes. Okay, we've talked about the Viet Minh, the Viet Cong, the NVA. Uh-huh. People often confuse these three different things. They're three very, very, very different things, as I'm sure you know. Um, you were talking earlier about the Ben Phu, so you know that there's a big difference between, say, the Viet Cong and the Viet Minh, and where you know these these different. Uh, groups are located, what their political motivations were, because they weren't all the same. Movies and TV shows, we have a million of them. And one of the unfortunate things that these TVs and movie shows do is they take all communist Vietnamese and they kind of mash it all together into one big, you know, bad guy kind of a, of a facade. And from the perspective of the movie, that might be somewhat uh, forgivable because that's usually told from the grunt infantryman's perspective. Sure. The grunt infantryman in a firefight with NLF guerrillas in a rice paddy, you know, somewhere in the Iron Triangle, doesn't really care about the the, the political nuances between the National Liberation Front and you know Comsonol and the people up in Hanoi and how they don't always get along. He doesn't care about that. And the movie's trying to portray his perspective, so it kind of makes sense. Gotcha. Um, but we've been through all that now. Uh, in part one. And so part two, uh, it's, it's again, it, we just, I'm not trying to be secretive here. It's just, we haven't gone that far ahead in the, in the, in the scripts. Right. Yeah. Is, um, okay. So we've done the big heavy history part of it or whatever. Now let's take a look at the different areas of the Vietnam war. So you've got four basic, um, the army, the army of North, the army of Vietnam, Arvin, uh, call them core sectors. Uh, the Americans call them, you know, field forces or whatever. So we got one, two, three, four. What those different four areas were like. So you got Fourth Corps in the extreme south. That's Mekong Delta. That's where you've got the mobile riverine force. You've got the Brownwater Navy. You've got all the river boats. You got the Apocalypse Now kind of stuff. That's in the extreme south. How do you build a table for that? What kind of things do you have to look out for? What kind of things should your rule sets entail? 
Up north to the, uh, to the other extreme, we have First Corps. That's Way City, the DMZ, Quezon, the Rockpile, Camp Carroll. Very, very mountainous. And you're not fighting Viet Cong guerrillas up there, no matter what you see in the movies. You're fighting NVA regulars, sometimes with tanks. It's a much more conventional war up there. And another thing you don't really see up there is the Army. Up there is almost all Marine Corps. Mm. There are some exceptions. First Air Cav is up there a little bit. And you have special forces groups like um, Long Bay, the famous tank battle at Long Bay. Uh, where special forces got overrun by NBA tanks. But by and large, that's a Marine Corps battle. In the middle, you have Third Corps. That's um, a, a, a movie. I'm just going to use movies because that's what most people have seen. Third Corps, you have... Um, uh, what's the name of the movie? Hamburger Hill. Uh-huh. The Outshaw Valley and all that stuff. Mountainous, but not terribly well-developed. And in the middle of that, or just south of that, you've got Second Corps. That's obviously the biggest corps. That's Quezon. That's where all your Australians are. In other words, don't put Australians up by the DMZ. Don't put riverboats up near the DMZ. Don't put Marines down in the Mekong Delta. Where these different areas of the war were, and you know, it's a quick overview of what kind of terrain you can find in these areas because they are very different. Vietnam was not one big jungle, believe it or not. I know the movies would have us believe that. There's <laughs> mountains. There's rice paddies. There's areas of tremendous open fields, very long fields of fire. There's urban combat in certain areas. Where the tunnels were, because the tunnels weren't everywhere, where the American carriers were, where you would have air battles, where you would have naval battles. Um, you know, we're pretty much just going to break apart the geography of the Vietnam War and tell people how to, or try to, you know, inspire people or shed some light on what kind of tables they can set up in different periods and different areas, geographical areas of the war. Right. And that's mostly going to be in part two. And again, that's just, that's, you know, no spoilers or anything. That's already been kind of discussed in part one and in the comments. Excellent. Excellent. So I will definitely be looking forward to that. So that'll be out in two weeks or a week from the time of the airing of the show. Um, So definitely looking forward to that. So Ralph, let's take it over to you. What have you been working on or what do you, what, what good stuff have you got for us? Um, I've not got much good stuff. I've got some news that I've oh, trolled okay. off the web. So there is some there is some stuff out there Perfect. Um, over the past it. couple of weeks. Um, so I'll do that first. Is Warlord Games, as we all know, are going to Korea. You know, it's it's everywhere. Um, they released their sort of their um, their email saying what was coming out. Uh-huh. And they showed off the. They're working with Sarissa to make a helicopter in MDF. What? They're doing the medical chopper that you see at the beginning of MASH in MDF to 28 millimeter scale. Really? Yes. Interesting. It's an MDF chopper. It's on, I think it's on Warlord's webpage as part of the MASH unit. So you can get the MASH figures with um, basically, um, I can't remember the make of the helicopter. So I can, Jim can go and research it for when I look. Um, oh, I know it so a, is, it the, big, uh, is it a Bell helicopter? The the Bell, is it the Bell? It's the Bell, yeah. Uh, a bell, the bubble nose, which is a bell. Yes. Is it a 12 or 21? I can't remember now. I'll have to look it up. Okay. So it's like the well, one you what, saw on the TV what's show. What's interesting is it, it, yeah, it's the one that you saw the, the, that they used for medical evacuations that gotcha. you saw at the beginning of March. So they're going to make that out uh, of MDF. Yeah. <sighs> interesting. How are they going to do that? 
Well, there's no cockpit in it. There's there's no canopy, but it'll just be, by the looks of it, when you look at the thing, it's just MDF struts cut to that bubble shape. Uh So what you could then use is you could then use some acetate, clear plastic, and put your own bubble on if you wanted to. Huh. And just paint it up. Interesting. Very interesting. So that's one of them. The In the last upcenter you on about a game system that someone contacted you about yes that was contact front that's right yes that was the contract contract contact front guy easy for you to say (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe maybe not um there was another one popped up on facebook oh god this must have been a while ago this was back in may and i don't think we ever covered it is there looks like there's a new miniatures game coming out called Delta One Zero. That's a new miniature skirmish modern game. Um, by the looks of it, you have three factions. Huh. I'm just trolling through their Facebook now, which is FSB. Um, let's have a look what he's got. In the demo, he's got FSB and UN Peacekeepers and SAS. Okay. So that looks like it's the new the new one. They've got a Facebook page um, called Delta One Zero Games. Uh, you know, Delta I think I've heard of it, but I, now that you say that, it does vaguely sound familiar. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm waiting on that. them. They're they're supposed to be sending us a review copy of the rule set for. Is it Contact Front? Yeah. Contact yeah. Front. Yep. So interested to get that. Um. Yeah, I think we're going to start doing some more. Re- review stuff you know here i'm still you know i was hoping chris would jump on because i wanted to hear his impression because he's play testing ultra combat modern i don't have the how did he get the rule set and i didn't get the rule set um it was in the kickstarter they released the pdf oh my god you mean i've had it all this time and i didn't know it probably yeah oh my god i'm an idiot there you go all right because there's because there's there's that um, Dougie and Carl playtesting at the local yeah. games com- club where I'm at. Yeah. They've been playtesting it as well. Yeah. Um, they've they're also doing they, those two guys have been doing some Chechenian war stuff uh-huh. with um, Fire Team Modern. They've been playing Fire Team Modern. Um, and then of course the other bit of the other news as well is seems to be that Empress is expanding its NAM range accidentally with all the new minis that seem to be. Yeah, they out. have quite a few going on. And you know, I was yeah. just looking at some other ones. Speaking of Vietnam, Jim, uh, yep. Gringo Forty yeah, is that Gringo what they're called? 40. Yeah, they have Those are really good. Those are really good. Yeah, they have. Uh, looks like a LT or Captain or C, we'll say CO and his RTO and. Okay. And painted up, it looks really good. I mean, really good. I mean, I I have seen Gringo 40, like when I went to Salute um, a couple of years back. You know, I saw some of the stuff there, and I never really gave it too much. But I'm really liking what they're producing. And Eureka, yeah, I think, has some Vietnam miniatures too, don't they? Yeah, Eureka do some. But those um, Gringo 40s mm-hmm. look really good. I think they look very proportionate. Um, nothing looks, you know, out of whack. The the rifle looks a little big, but you know, at twenty eight mil, it's kind of hard. Not as big as some people's. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've seen I've seen some uh, twenty eight mil Vietnam figures where the the 
the damn M16, which is a small rifle, um, looks like a German anti-tank rifle in World War One or something. It's like 12 feet long or something. But those Gringo 48s, I think it was Warhammer Grimace on the on, on tabletop was painting some of them up and showcasing what he'd done. I mean, of course, he's a great painter, but I mean, also just the detail in the miniature. I mean, down to you could tell whether it was an M16 or an M16A1 or an M16A2. Yeah. The handguards, the front side assembly, uh, where the forward assist was on the upper receiver. That kind of detail on a 20-millimeter miniature was um, really, really amazing, I thought. Gee, what was it, the Gringo 40 that had the – was it the LT holding the radio with the M60? The one you're thinking of, he's got a radio guy, and the the the, the officer's holding like the the the, the telephone cord from yeah, the back of the got, radio. Yeah, he's got the handset, M60. and and That's he's his M16 Empress. is slung, and then the RTO has his in his right hand, just you know holding it by the front. Like we used to, you know, if you remember, Jim, you know how you used to just grab it around the connector, you know, where you can pull the shrouds off. You know, the yeah. ring, you slide back to pull the shroud, you know, how you kind of, you're in front of the where, carry handle. Where you're absolutely not supposed to grab it. You're supposed to grab it while the carrying handle that they provided for you, but you never do. Uh-huh. Yep. And so. Empress have done something similar. They've got a, an RTO with an officer and two other RTOs. One of them's kneeling and one of them's standing. Um, the RTO with the officers holding a Thompson. Uh, wait a minute. A Thompson? Thompson? Submachine? Yeah. Yeah. What the hell's he doing with a Thompson? That's definitely Vietnam set. Well, there were Thompsons in Nam, I think, still. Uh, um, I don't, don't think know. so. <laughs> well, it's definitely a Thompson by the looks of it that he's Oh, I, I, I agree that it's in the. I mean, I, I would have. Hey, who's this Empress? In the Empress, yeah, it's in the Vietnam set. It's Nam 15 is the, the set. It's seven pounds for the four miniatures. Now, I'll say this. Um, there's one of my people like, you know, ask me like, you know, what's a good Vietnam war movie. One of the ones that I always, 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 uh, recommend. I mean, everyone knows platoon and everyone knows full metal jacket. There's a movie called the iron triangle. And what makes it interesting, it's a cheap movie. I mean, it's not, you know, full metal jacket. Uh, it's one of those straight to K ca- uh, straight to cable, straight to video ones that came out in the late eighties after things like hamburger hill, uh, yeah. Full Metal Jacket and Platoon. You know, it's part of that. It's a part of that. You know, second wave generation. But it's a good mm-hmm. one because it. This this comes back to the conversation we're having. I promise. It's a good one because it's one of the only movies that takes a real stab and it does a pretty good job at showing the communist perspective. There, one of the main characters is a VC um, or an NLF, if you prefer, um, operative, and one of them is an American captain. Uh, I think it's Jeff Bridges plays him. But one of the main plot points is, and this maybe is where they got the idea for that miniature is. One of the main plot points is uh, two uh, of the communist characters fighting over a captured Thompson submachine gun. Huh. Um, so they were around, but they weren't issued by the U.S. Army. Got to remember, they gave a whole bunch of weapons to Arvin. Um, Arvin didn't get the best stuff. They got some of the, you know, the second-rate stuff. They might have gotten a Thompson. Um there was, of course, a huge war before the first Indochina war against the French and the Viet Minh. There's going to be Thompsons all over the place there. There are probably some Thompsons lying around, but the fact that an American officer or American NCO is carrying a Thompson, I'll be honest with you, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at the but, picture right now, and he sure does have a Thompson, and the RTO oh, yeah. does. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that makes even less sense because the RTO is a, is, a, is a corporal at most. 
Um, I've just Googled an image search and there's a shitload of images of US troops, actual photos from Nam carrying yeah. Thompson. So, huh. yeah. but it was, it was pre the, it was probably early Vietnam. That doesn't make any sense. Well, the um, only thing, you know, I, what they're, they're going to be carrying is either a car 15 or a cut down AR 15. Yeah. That was the thing. You know, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this picture of the miniature with holding the Thompson was I'm thinking, is this French? You know, are these guys supposed to be represented as French? You know, when they came back after World War II to Vietnam, you know, because I imagine yep. some of them had, um, you know, some then. But I don't know. I mean, I, I like I said, I am no expert in Vietnam, but Anything post, what, 65, 66, they were pretty much using uh, M16s. You know, we're not talking A1s. We're talking the original M16 model. So The original M16, the M14 battle rifle. Yeah. Um, NCOs and officers sometimes would carry the cut-down M14. If some Yahoo is walking around with a Thompson, that's something that they found at a pawn shop in Saigon, and his captain needs to slap him upside the head one time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious, because number one, he's not carrying the right weapon. Uh, it's not effective uh, at, that, at that part of the war. Uh, it's firing pistol ammunition, for crying out loud. And by the way, where are you getting all that 45 ACP from? Because your supply point isn't carrying it. That's that's a post photograph. That's that's no, no, no. Okay, so I'm looking at the pictures Ralph sent. The first picture uh, is a is a Thompson with a guy. He is not na- a military. He looks like a legionnaire no. or something. There you like go. That. Rest uh, my case. There is a Navy guy. Freaking Navy. Yeah. Carrying a Thompson on a boat. Uh, so that could be Riverine guys. Maybe they had it. Oh, who knows? I don't know about the Navy. Yeah, you know, those Navy people. And then you've got um, Arvin carrying a submachine uh, Thompson, which I would totally believe. Absolutely. Because they got everything we didn't want. You know? Absolutely. And then yeah, everything we didn't want. Some of the descriptions that they were given to, to militia and yeah. defense and then Use. you have a CIA, you know, Max Sog, um, showing some Arvin guys how to use a Thompson. So yeah, but Bingo. U.S. troops. All that, all, those four examples make perfect sense. Now there's a picture of a Leatherneck from the First Marine Division with the Thompson in the Tet Offensive. So um, yeah, and he's an RTO. So get 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 that get that uh, Article 15 ready for him. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'm going to believe. During the Tet Offensive, obviously this was not their issued weapon, um, but Pick them up. they picked them up, whatever they could get during the offensive. And then there's a quote from Captain Dale Dye, who everybody knows as a military advisor in a lot of movies, who said well, he saw a number of he calls himself. M1A1 Thompsons in Vietnam. So it says many of the advisors to the Vietnamese took opportunity to acquire and carry them. Yes. And then it was that, of guys working military. the Navy market time ops offshore. So, I mean, for close quarter on a ship, sure, I could see that because it is a pistol round. Um, <laughs> but it was not common issue by any means. So it was an issue. But it's interesting about this. Yeah. Stuff that you're going to pick up off the street or yeah. a pawn shop or God forbid off of somebody's, you know, off of, a, off of an enemy casualty. Uh, Thompson's are going to be, um, Vietnam is going to be a wash in Thompson's. Yeah. At part one of the, that op center series is 
this war started as, ironically, the Viet Minh and Ho Chi Minh supported by the OSS during World War II against the Japanese. So as far as who put Ho Chi Minh and his communists in business, that's the CIA. And, you know, draw your own conclusions from there. There's going to be thousands of Thompsons poured into Vietnam to support that war. And those Thompsons didn't just go away, you know, when the war ended. You're going to find them all over the place. But as far as, you know, our American, either Marine, Army, you know, ground, air cav, or any of those units issued with the Thompson, it's a flat no. Yeah. Um, are anybody's going to be carrying one as some sort of, you know, bullshit prestige weapon? Again, that's just a lapse in military discipline. And yeah, it's definitely possible. Uh, other movies have, have cited it. Uh, they have an American guy carrying one. And uh, by the way, he's also the first guy to die in the movie. So draw your <laughs> there too. Iron Triangle, seriously, check it out. Um, it, I think it's free on YouTube. Um, it's, it's a little lower in quality. Uh, and you're going to see a Thompson. The Thompson is practically a star in that movie, but, um, it's something that some of the characters fight over because it's a prestige weapon. It's old, it's an antique, and the, it, it has some kind of you know non-military value assigned to it because uh -huh. of reasons. Um, so, I mean, were they in country? Absolutely. Were they assigned to the U.S. military? No. So there's that. Ralph, what else you got yeah. in the news for us? Um, that's really it apart from uh, Mantic posted up I don't know if it was Mantic or it was somebody else and this is coming out of Gen Con Mantic are doing a load of you know how they did The Walking Dead yeah uh, terrain bits they're doing a load of vehicles oh really modern vehicles yes hmm um, I'll see if I can find the article it was posted I think to The Walking Dead group like like, a, like a civilian vehicle SUV Yes, oh, cool. SUVs, awesome. things like that, which will be perfect for 28mm Spectre, yeah. contact front, ultra combat, things like that. Um, it looked like one of the vehicles that was shown off. It was a, it was in a render, so it wasn't, it was a 3D render, one of them. And it was a, uh, what do you call it? A mini. <laughs> a mini Cooper? So, we can uh, start like we can, like the mini Cooper and things like that. We can stop buying matchboxes now. <laughs> yeah, because the scale's never quite right. They're too big for seventy-two. And they're too big for fifty-seven. They're too small for fifty-six. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll have to keep. So that's going to be part of their like terrain crate stuff that they I do. I don't know if it's going to be terrain crate or what. It was just it was just posted that. They were showing some stuff off, I think, probably at the booth at, um, at Gen Con. So these were photographs from both more than actually off Mantic, you know, Mantic site themselves. I'm going to try and see if I can find the post anyway, and I'll link it back into the Facebook. Awesome. That's cool. And hobby-wise, I've been thinking and looking, and there's lots of nice terrain out there, yeah. as we all know. Yeah. But a lot of the terrain is, A, expensive especially some of the really nice ones. Uh -huh. And thinking of gaming, you know, with a budget, I'm probably personally going to start building my own. Okay. Using possibly foam board. It's durable. It's lightweight, and it's probably going to be easier to store. So I'm possibly going to start at first digging some paper sheets out and mapping out what I want to build in paper and then buying some foam board and building up some some stuff in foam board. So I'm probably looking at small Adobe buildings, maybe a hotel or a largish building. 
um, things like that. So, because I've been looking as well as I've managed to start getting some terrain pieces. So I went to Antonosity's workshop and bought two of the commercial bins, which are basically wheelie bins with lids. Uh-huh. They're the big, they're the big commercial ones that you see outside. And then I bought some of the five sets of rubbish piles as well, which are perfect because they're twenty eight mil scale. So it's perfect for scatter, but it's but it'll be it'll sit around, you know, the edges of the the buildings and stuff like that. So, nice. and I've just been watching some terrain stuff as well. So, so for by foam board, you mean like it's like oh foam man, board. okay. Yeah. So just make sure we're talking about the same thing. It's like it's mountain very board. very thin. Okay. Um, I've I've tried to build some walls with foam board and with with mixed results because I'm not very good at that kind of thing. Uh, my only uh, if you've ever built anything with foam board before, buy some nice new razor blades and keep them sharp. The second um, that blade gets even slight, I mean, we oh, use yeah. razors to a certain point. Like after they're, I found that foam board only works when your b- blade is like heart surgery sharp. It's got to be very, very, very sharp. Yeah. Otherwise, it binds up and it gets all crunchy. And it was fine for my walls because they're supposed to be a little bullet marked anyway. But if you want nice, clean lines, yeah, it's it's a less forgiving material as far as the sharpness of your razor than I found other materials. Yeah, it was, it was foam board. And the other one that I'll probably invest with is a hot glue gun. Can't go wrong with a hot glue gun at all. Uh, PVA could be a little bit of a pain in the behind, but a hot, and it takes a little bit longer to dry. But hot glue is almost instant, and its drying time is a bit is a bit quick as well. So, the only but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that I've been watching. There's a lot of terrain, like there's yeah the terrain shooter, of course, of course. But there's black mag uh, black magic terrain, wildox armory. You know, there's loads of YouTube channels that people are building terrain and doing it for role playing or for miniatures gaming. So, yeah. But I just, I just thought the buildings are nice, but they're not what I want. Mm-hmm. Because I started modifying an MDF building I've got, and I thought, well, I want to put a balcony on it. I want to put a couple of balconies on it and add a like a uh, an ent- not an entrance way, but a like a courtyard to it. Uh huh. And it just didn't look big enough. And when you take the, the each of the, the floors off, because it's five floors, I wanted to try and put some dividing walls into it. And you look at it and go, it's not, you know, you could have one, like one small flat in this five-story building. So that would be like five rooms. And it's like, no, I want to make it a little bit more engaging, shall we say. Sure. Yeah. No, that so makes sense. I think I'm going to start messing around with some terrain building. Perfect. Perfect. It sounds great. Keeps us off the computer. The only thing, the only thing I found with glue guns is you really got to control the amount yeah. that you're, you know, because sometimes it'll come out really thick, and then when you mm-hmm. put stuff together, you get a lot of overflow. So that's the only thing. I, you have to get a really good glue gun. Don't just get the cheapest yeah. one you can find. So no, I was I was looking at a um, possibly a Bosch or something. There you go. So. I was looking at a wireless. I was looking at a, like a battery one as okay. well. Yeah, not perfect. A cabled one, so it's easier to control. Perfect. We'll see. So, um, Jim, thanks for covering um, Present Arms on Thursday night. Uh, I heard you were doing counters. We did our with, best. With, um, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it was Rhodesia, right? Yeah. We've um, 
Okay, so uh, apparently either you know our uh, our efforts here, uh, SitRep or OpCenter or whatever, has uh, inspired a couple other people to start their own YouTube channels, which is amazing. Actually, you know, puts a warm feeling in my heart. Uh, one of them is uh, a, a website called um, the Grizzly Cave. Quick shout out to the Grizzly Cave, run by my friend Dylan over there, uh, LSR twenty five ninety on on tabletop. Um, he does mostly Napoleonic, but he did venture into moderns once with a war that he knows about, the uh, Rhodesian Civil War of, I think it's 1965 to 79. Um, unlike Vietnam, this is a war I don't know very much about, so I was totally relying on him on this one. And he um, also on On Tabletop, he started a, uh, a project where he's actually trying to make up his own you know, Valor and Victory counters. And I was like, oh my God, someone else is making a Valor and Victory counters. Everyone on this website has heard me talk about Valorant Victory, so I was super excited about that. And it just, you know, it feels good when someone else is doing something that you've kind of inspired them to do or whatever. Um, so, again, uh, you know, you had some other stuff going on, so, you know, we agreed that I was going to run um, – present arms that night i was like okay i reached out to um, to dylan and i was like do you want to take a swing at these uh rhodesian civil war counters and uh yeah he was like yeah sure you can do the work for me i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah we sat down for 90 minutes and we cranked out some quick counters um whether or not we're ever going to run this game on one of our weekend web games we could probably do that whether or not we would ever cover this on a op center because it's been requested like once or twice whether or not we're ever going to cover on op center is a little more debatable number one i know very little about it i have to read a lot i mean i don't go to wikipedia copy paste and then that's my <laughs> script that's not how that's not how we roll right um i do feel like i have to know what i'm talking about before i try to present on him in Rhodesian Civil War, I really don't. But what I am finding is that there's a little bit of a um, – I mean, war is always terrible and nasty and, and ugly, especially modern war, especially civil wars. This Rhodesian conflict has a little bit of an additional uh, stink to it that um, I don't know if we're going to avoid. But if we do do it, we're going to have to be super, super careful Yeah. because um, there there is a little bit of a stigma to it, and it's not entirely undeserved. Uh, as far as how it was, um, you know, pursued by the by the two sides, there, there's a, a very very steep racial incline to it that I'm not terribly thrilled about. I don't so, but just to make up some counters, yeah, uh, we, we made up some counters. It was fun, and uh, yeah, that was the episode. Um, again, I was just trying to fill in, uh, you know, while you were taking care of some things. Well, I appreciate it. Chris just posted up some pictures, didn't he? Because he's going to start doing some painting tutorials for the the mounted Rhodesian scouts. Yeah, I think he did that a couple weeks on, back. Yeah. On yeah, he posted up the, the, the primed minis from Eureka because Eureka minis are the only ones that I've seen do those those miniatures. Yeah. Um, but sort of linking into that, there is a, I'm on a Facebook group called Modern African Bush Wars. There's a Facebook group for it which covers probably all, all of the different types of African bush wars that have been going on in within uh, the period. Uh, and people have been posting up their miniatures and stuff. So from a miniatures point of view, some really nice things. But from the war point of view, yes, it's it's one of those, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not we, saying we couldn't do it, but we just have to be super, yeah. super careful. We it's a very yeah. touchy topic. Yeah, it mean, is. It, yeah. Let's be honest. But, there was a lot of ethnic stuff yeah. that mm-hmm. we you know it's very sensitive especially in these days and times and you you know you have to it's it's tough let's just put it that way it's down tough. down mm-hmm. down to the bones it's your typical there is a 
you know, the British are pulling out of one of their former colonies, and now there's two groups left over that want to run the war, that want to run that country afterwards, after the British pull out. You've got the people that were in power before, the post-colonial power, and then you've got the, the Marxists, because the Soviets are trying to play Cold War proxy or whatever. That's no different than 100 other wars in Africa, wars in Asia, wars in mm-hmm. even Latin America. However, this one... Um, the British didn't want to pull out because they, the British uh, Empire at the time, or the British Commonwealth at the time, had a general policy of we're not pulling out of a country until we've established um, – at least this was the, the idea. They didn't – they were a little hypocritical about this. We're not pulling out until we establish majority rule. Well, the majority of the rule was not established. You know, The, the white Rhodesians were definitely not the majority in that country. Mm-hmm. They pulled out anyway. Now we have the white Rhodesians who their only real sponsor is apartheid-era South Africa. And everybody on the communist side happens to be, you know, people of color. So, and then the war is fought with no rules, no rules on either side. And it's very, very nasty. It's very, very bloody, a lot of atrocities, and it's very sharply divided among racial lines with one side basically supported by white supremacists. It's, it's a, it's, it's a weird one. Um, So again, no, nothing against people who make miniatures about this stuff. We made up counters for it here on SITREP, but as yeah. far as whether or not we ever cover it on Op Center or anything, I mean, I, I, people have requested it, and I feel like I don't, I, I don't want, I don't, I don't want people to feel like we're ignoring them. This one is a potential minefield, and that might be why we don't. Uh, we, we do kind of want to watch our step. Sadly, mm-hmm. there are plenty of modern wars to pick from. Yeah, uh, let's not pick one <laughs> yeah. that's gonna that might get us in trouble. If people are interested in gaming in that period or looking at that period i know force on force did a source book called bush wars which i think you can still get your hands on so if people are interested yeah Uh, might be worth the pdf is still available out there yeah yeah. And again, if you, if you yeah. want to look at it in a strictly tactical view, you know, have fun. Just if you're going to get it, because again, Op Center is usually higher, higher level. We, we first thing we do is we get all the politics out of the way. That's where it gets a little weird. But if you're just getting mm-hmm. together with some with some friends, you want some asymmetrical, you know, air mobile kind of a game. It's very air mobile war. If you want to get air mobile into some tactical gaming, you know, then you know, have fun. Just don't be surprised if uh, some people kind of raise an eyebrow. You know, it's, it, you have to kind of watch out for it. Yeah. All right. Well, let me talk a little bit about what I've been up to um, because I want to acknowledge a few people. So the previous week I on present arms, I painted up the U.S. soldier for our ultra combat modern from Dish Dash Games. And um, I did that on the podcast and on the live stream, excuse me. And Andrew Dickinson um made a comment and he said, is there any chance of a write-up on how you do it? So Andrew, I will definitely work on that this week and I'll get that posted up. So you, I'll take a step through step on how I did the camo. Um, you know, it's not competition worthy, but it's definitely tabletop standard. Oh, um, absolutely. So, you know, and it, it isn't really that hard and I painted it from, you know, primed to fully done within that, what, 90 minutes, Jim, I think it was. Yeah, so, 90, 90 to 100 minutes tops. Yeah, so, you know, for one figure. So once you got it down, it's, you know, you could probably get through. So I, I'm, I'm more of a speed painter than, you know, it depends on what I'm working on. You know, most of my miniatures I will speed paint through. Um, you know, very rarely will I do something for a long time. Um, and then also I completed, finally, the Spectre Miniatures Razor with crew um finally got that done and posted the pictures of that 
So um, I just got to do a base for it. Don't you have another one of those? Yeah, I have another one that I will actually take my time on and do it bit by bit instead of putting it together and then trying to paint it. So uh, it's definitely a challenge when you've got all that stuff in there to get a good paint job on it. But it looks all right. It looks looks all right. Um, You know what? I I know that's the right way to do it. I never do my vehicles that way. Yeah. (laughs) I build it and then base it and spray paint it. I I never – oh, you should should paint the guys before you put them in the vehicle. Man, this isn't a scale model. I don't (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> I never have the patience for that. I've just picked, I've just picked up another Humvee from Spectre as well, so I've got a Humvee to build and paint to go with me. Other one that I've got, so I still have the JRTV to build on the, so. on the Spectre website. Yeah, mm. I, I was probably looking do at the, that on the, the one on Spectre. Yeah, the Spectre one. Yeah, on the, yeah, the one on the front of that page though, the grey one that they've got next to all the mercenaries uh-huh. or, the, or the PMCs. I'm thinking of doing it in that type of grey instead okay. of doing it in the in the green and tan, in the green and um, khaki that I've got this one done in. Awesome. So a couple so other to, things I wanted to do. Uh, nice. Uh, was going to acknowledge uh, Johnny Grogan posted something on the 31st of July. He sent us a link to um, a new, I don't know if it's a new game, but I'm not familiar with it. Um, Let me bring it up here. Uh, Tango Down by Tiny Battle Publishing. Um, Yeah. It's it's a square encounter game, and it's basically a house clearing operation, so CQB. Um, So I'm going to take a look at that. Um, see how that goes here. I, I'm going to order it up and try that. And then our buddy Piers sent us some play testing for uh, Battle Group North Hag. So I'm really interested. In that. And he posted some pictures of some 10 mil Soviet troops, I think it was. Um, and they look pretty good. So I'm really anxious to get that on the table, uh, especially at 10 mil. Um, right. And so at I'm very excited for that. And I'm really excited to try and get some six mil gaming in as well. Um, I, I'm going to order up some GHQ uh, armor and there get painting on that. And <laughs> so when we good have one girl, of our. Uh, girl, GHQ. Yeah. Old school. So um, when we have one of our game weekends, did we ever decide what we're calling those? Um, I think. You know, we're going to get a, a game together of, I don't know, Team Yankee or some. We'll come up with some rule set that we can play six mil and we'll get a big group together and we'll uh, have a, a battle after, you know, we work on our projects. So um, I just think six mil to me is just a really good scale for especially for armor. Yeah. Uh, OK. Um, I'll put money in the pot. He's going to talk about scale again. Um <laughs> Um, as far as like, what's the best scale for moderns or whatever, if you're doing infantry and skirmish, the you know, 28 millimeter is great because it's not whether the games are too big or too small in scale or whatever. Like I think sometimes my arguments get a little oversimplified. It's just that the difference between an infantry scale weapon and an armored scale weapon or artillery or air or whatever is so huge that one scale doesn't really do a good job. I mean, Team Yankee tries, but to, you know, a lot of these games don't really, you know, uh, encapsulate on a six mil table. Infantry should be able to shoot out to like one inch and artillery would be able to shoot beyond the table. Armor should be able to shoot beyond the table and you should be playing on, you know, 10 foot tables. Um, 
So again, it's like, you know, you have a whole bunch of games that you play, pick the best tool for the job. If you want to play infantry, modern infantry. Yep. You know, 28 millimeters great because infantry weapons are so much shorter ranged than most people think. A lot of people in infantry fight with submachine guns. That's pistol ammunition. You're maybe 100 feet. Um, even assault rifles are, a, are a much, much shorter than a, a traditional rifle bullet. You know, 500 yards tops. That's if you're sitting still and the enemy's sitting still, which, you know, take a guess how often that happens. Right. Um, you know, so really it's like maybe 100 yards effective combat range or whatever. And tanks, effective combat range is 300, 3,000 meters. And yes, there, most battlefields are do have lines of sight that long. Um, so you're, it's like a 30 to 1, you know, disparity. So... Yeah, 28 millimeter is great for infantry, skirmish, skirmish, sangin, you know, uh, ultra combat. 28 millimeter, yes, 100%. Once you get into tanks, helicopters, artillery pieces, you know, you're up at battalion, brigade, you know, maybe even division level combat. You got to go with six mil and even six mil is a compromise. Um, not to sound too much like a risky, but you really should be playing in Hex Encounters or some other some other non-miniature type game, unless you're playing on a tennis court, in which place, God bless. And please invite me to your game. I would love to play on your on your 40-foot table. I saw some at, at Historicon. They were amazing. Um, but well, Speaking of Historicon, Jim, did, oh, yeah. did you get to see that Force on Force table, the big African one that was I saw. There? Three force on force tables. They are on the front page of on tabletop. Uh, I did yeah, make sure I'm... that they all. There was one. There was one modern table that I did admittedly miss. That was the oil derrick one. I walked past it like three times, but right. that that's a very very fast convention. You rent or not, yeah. rent, but, but you book a table for like three hours, four hours, and then you are gone because there's somebody else with their boxes of miniatures waiting to take that table, and it's on a very tight schedule, and they don't play around. Um, I think so every it was time, on tabletop, it was that big. It was the big one where you had two two teams going at like one had an extraction point and a mission. I yeah, that's 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 my content. I actually put that up there. Yeah. Uh, I think Jerry. I, I think Jerry. The, the Jerry was doing the interview. That was me behind the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did that one, and then there was another one—a road trip in the jungle or something. So there was at least two force mm -hmm. on force tables in force on force standard twenty millimeter. Um, there was ten millimeter uh, mine Panzer with M ones versus uh, T eighties. It was nice to see the correct Soviet tank on the table for a change. And <laughs> nice to see um, what else there was. Again, the only one that I do regrettably I do regret that I missed was that oil platform one. That thing was an oil platform in twenty eight millimeter. It was at least three or four feet off up off the table. It was absolutely huge. They must have had a whole minivan just to bring that stupid, you know, oil rig. <laughs> All right. That's somebody's going to rub that one in because I've been yeah, trying to design that for a year now. Um, I don't I, – like I said, every time I walked past it, it was, it was like between games or whatever. So I never got to see it in action. We never interviewed him. We never did the write-up, um, which, again, we, we, we tried to cover everything. We, 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 we couldn't. It was just too much. And there was only three people there. Um, I don't know if you could open it up and move around guys inside or whatever, but from the outside, it, it, the scale was right. It looked really nice. Uh, it was absolutely huge. It was a massive effort. God only, you know, God knows just to build, let alone just bring it there. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great looking table, but yeah, there was, there were some, there were some moderns there. Awesome. Another one, that, another one that we missed was, um, 
know, I did want to get this one. And you know what? We, we were going to take some heat for it. I don't give a damn. It was American Presidential Race 2020. And uh, it, was so, it was so satirical. It was a zombie apocalypse game. In, a zombie apocalypse game in America in the year 2020 with, you know, all the red states on one side, all the, you know, there was like a CNN van. It was flipped over. It was overrun by Fox and these guys. There was a school right next to a, uh, let's just say it was a gentleman's club, but the gentleman's club was named like Big Guns or something. It had like two cross M4 carbines on there. It was just a snapshot of everything that is just wrong with America. And it was just put on this table. And it was, the guy was just like, I dare you to say something about it. You know, <laughs> it was a great American satirical kind of a table. And it was all, you know, it was like two zombie hordes. And one zombie horde, everyone was dressed in blue. One zombie horde, everyone was dressed in red. And it was just like, you know, just bathe in the subtext. Just go ahead and drink it yes. in. You know, it was, yeah. it was great. It was great. Uh, but we, we went to talk to him. I was like, oh, you got to get this on camera. And he was busy setting up his table. So, and he, he just didn't have time for us. So there were a couple modern tables that we did miss. Um, uh, last night on earth, uh, what was it? No, I'm sorry. Last kids on earth was a fun one that we did get. And it was a kid's zombie game, which I found, which sounds weird, but they, they pulled it off. And it was a bunch of kids were up in their treehouse having a, having a, a playtime or like, like a sleepover. Uh -huh. And during that night, the zombie apocalypse struck and now everybody's a zombie. And now these kids that happened to have that or happened to be up in that treehouse all night, they didn't get zombified, but now they have to like, um, rush out and get, and, and get snacks. And so you basically had a pack of Twinkies was your objective marker. And, um, uh, you have to fight through all the zombies or whatever. And it was, it was adorable. It was great. Hilarious. Did get that one, but yeah, there were well, some that we missed, but uh, there was there was a lot that we did actually get for Force on Force. Excellent. There's a um, just a, just something else as well that we we put a shout out. I'll put a shout out for it's Alex. Alex's full battle raffle, raffle. Yep, it's his birthday today. Yes, it is. Oh, happy that. birthday, Alex. Yes. Yeah, so we might as well give him a give him a shout out. Yeah, you know, he's he's been good to the sit rep when yes, he's he been has. on. So. So, yes, it's his birthday today. So I'll be painting up some more of his Canadians probably on the next present arms. So um, uh, this, yeah, be on Thursday night. I'll be painting. Is that with map? Are you going to be doing the map pass then as well? Yeah, I'll be doing it again. So we'll see. All right. Really, at, at these scales, though, isn't isn't camouflage just pretty much an exercise of uh, fake utility? Make it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I use the Spectre guide for doing multicam and it works really well. Yeah, it does. I use that. that on uh, the Razor guys. So I followed yeah. theirs. But you know what? I just, what I've, my personal approach to doing camo now on these is I print up, I'll go to Google and I'll put in whatever camo does pattern I'm going to paint <laughs> and I'll print up a color sheet of the pattern. And then I look at the, because camo is layers. So yep, I yeah. look at the layer. So I say, all right, what yep. is the initial layer? You know, what's the most obvious majority of the, you know, that camos? is absolutely true. When you look at any American camouflage or yeah. any camouflage at all, you can look at it and well, you don't even have to be like a graphic designer or anything. You just look at it and you can tell those colors were applied in a certain order. Yeah. And you want to get that order right. Then you just want to get that proportion, right? How much black is an American desert camouflage? Maybe a couple dots. Right. And the point is just to not overdo it. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, and at 28 mil, it's just a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, and just, yeah, proportion Keyword is a lot. Little. 
Yeah, pe- keyword being it, little. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I found it a little therapeutic as well. Doing when I was doing my spets nuts, especially because I used the multicam yeah. for the spets nuts because I thought it just worked. Um, and when I was painting them, I could, you know, I, I based them all black, and then I went over all with that base um, green, green, is it grey green that they used? Mm-hmm. And then just went in and just did it like um, the the heavy machine gun that's got the backpack with the 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 bell fed one. Uh huh. The, him, um, like I did his armor and I did the backpack and just Russian uniform green and didn't do any other awesome. additional colors with it and stuff. And the, the 12 of them look really good, actually. I'm really pleased they're, they're the best set of minis that I think I've painted in a while. So they look that's, really that, nice. Um, that's definitely a, shot, a, so. a key is, is how they look like when they're all together. Yeah. 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 As, as a group of 12 special forces, like a 12 uh, man unit, they look, I think they look really good. On the on the table and stuff. So, yeah. So I mean, it's I'm, just. I'm I mean, I I agree with you in a sense, Ralph. That you know, it's therapeutic. But after you get to the tenth, eleventh, twelfth, yeah, it's now it's, <laughs> it's like, like painting Napoleonics after the hundredth yeah. one. Oh my God, I'm tired of painting red. You know, uh, here here's the, here's yeah. the trick for painting miniatures like that. And I did this for uh, my World War. I'm sorry for my Desert, um, my modern day uh, whatever uh, Desert Storm War on Terror Marines, and again my American Revolution guys because that's almost as bad as Napoleonic. Don't paint like one figure at a time. Just paint them all red, uh-huh. then paint all the white, then paint yeah. all the black or whatever. That way. If, God forbid, you get tired of it and you quit, at least now you have a usable army. They all look the same. Right. You know, don't try to paint one guy down to his belt buckle and then go on to the next guy and start that. Because you're going to get like three guys in and you're going to get bored of it. Yeah. Paint, you know, paint them all like assembly line style Mm -hmm. so that, God forbid, when you do run out of steam, at least you've got a tabletop army. Three colors and up. I tell you what I did pick up, which I quite like, is I did get it from OTT as I bought the Colors of War book from Battlefront. Oh yeah, it's actually the, I mainly got it for the Team Yankee and the the stuff and you know the the modern stuff in the back, which is actually it's a really really nice book as well for for sort of looking at color schemes and stuff. Uh-huh. So it's it's if if you can get it reasonably priced, I would say that might be that's a useful guide for for people. Um, if they want to paint, especially anything. I mean, it does World War Two as well as modern. Perfect so for moderns. It's, it's really good. All right. I mean, I've got my black SES um, in assault gear ready. They're all primed Balak. So what I'm going to do is get the airbrush out, and I've got the AK interactive set. Mm-hmm. It's German Panzer set. Now it's not the set isn't blacks. It's a it's a collection of, of different shades, and it looks like it's shades of blue, blue gray. Yeah. So you've got a very dark shade right the way to a like a light shade. So what I'm so what I'm gonna do is, is the bottom half of the minis are gonna get done in the darkest shade, and then and then at the top I'm gonna do it in a in the, sort of the next shade or the next shade after that up. So it looks like it's a blend of colors. Um, on the on the on the, like the overalls, and then I'll go in and do the the webbing and the weapons and things in a different color. For like a, I'm sorry, out, like 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 a dark uh, blue gray. You said yes, it's like a blue gray almost. For it's, for like 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 what kind of miniatures are you are you, are you painting? These are SAS. These are SAS assault. It's they wear. You know when you see them in the black overalls. Like oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Okay. 
Cool. Yeah, it's them. At the uh, at Historicon. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Um, well, I've got them all primed black, and they've all got... Um, I got the bug of doing them when after I saw the Modern Warfare, <laughs> Call of Duty Modern Warfare single-player trailer, because all of the guys there were... This, you know, it's SES, but they've got the quads. Mm-hmm. They've got the quad optics. Okay. Um, so they've all got the quad optics in. And, of course, I found another way of adding the quad optics to spec. That is a little bit of green stuff on Milliput. Okay. Um, where the optics sit. Uh-huh. And then just pop the optics on. And it just makes so much of a difference than trying to stick a bit of glue and then watch your fingers be stuck together while you're holding a small piece of metal. Right. <laughs> Metal's tough to glue together. It is. It is. it is. I mean, I use Gorilla glue. I use Gorilla gel glue. And if you get any... I'm, yes. I'm allergic, I must be allergic to it because if I get anything on my fingers, I just, I just sneeze constantly for about three days. Um, I don't know about Gorilla Glue, but the gel glue, if they saw a type of gel glue over yeah. here, yes. Put it on there, let it sit for about a minute, and then stick the piece. Basically, it's almost half dry, and that's when it gets really adhesive. Yeah. That's when I have good luck with it. If you just try and stick it on there right off the bat, it always comes apart. But yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we were talking about um, Team Yankee miniatures a second ago. There was a guy at Wally's Basement at Historicon who had a fully painted, mm-hmm. and it was well painted, too. It was almost as good as mine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a fully painted I, my my miniatures aren't aren't the best. Um, a fully painted West German army, mm-hmm. ten leopards, twenty martyrs of different types, the Fuchs, about a hundred infantry, the whole nine yards, in perfect German 1980s camouflage, eight hundred and fifty bucks. Wow. And I was like, oh, man, that's a lot of money. And I don't have anyone I'm playing uh, Team Yankee against. Yes. And and I already have a Bundeswehr army. But he had the the, the, the P-105 helicopters, the P-105 helicopters. It was a nice, it was a nice, nice army. I hope he sold it because he deserves credit for his work. But, um, yeah, it was, I was like, oh, if dude, if I didn't already have a German army and, uh, I mean, 850 bucks is a lot of money, but I could have talked and done maybe 700, but still that's, that's was, a lot of money for an army, Jim. It, it was a big army. It was a big army and it was well painted. Mm-hmm. And again, Just, is, it, is it that big? I mean, is it that much money? Yes. Or am I going to throw away three months of my life working on this? <laughs> you know, bad. it's it's you know, if you if you look at it in those terms, you know, how much money do I make in three months? I make more than seven hundred than eight hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, it's actually not a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. Chris, are you just on the before line? we start as well? I, Hello, I was just going to say, just, hey! before Chris jumps in as well, I'll just like the point of sh- do a shout of sorts of some other news that dropped this week as oh. well, which was the trailer speak. Speaking of video games, which is my other hobby, the trailer for the multiplayer part of Call of Duty Modern Warfare mm-hmm. dropped. So good. <laughs> Chris knows what I mean. It's like, oh. Okay, all right. Before I, I before you get on your love fest for this game, <laughs> uh, I got to say something. Is this the one? Do you, where, is this? Do you guys need some time alone, or you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask. Is this one? one I thing? saw a trailer. Where they're in the woods, yeah, and yeah. and then the uh-huh. dude lights up a cigar or some crap like oh, that. Yep. No, okay, all right, no, hold on, no, hold on now, hold on, because the drill sergeant in me is about to come out. 
What yeah, the bleep in hell are you Light doing up, ruining light discipline on a tactical maneuver? <laughs> Light them up, G. What the Go heck? I know it's a video game, but if you're going to make it simulistic, why would you light up a cigar <laughs> with a big-ass cherry in the middle of the woods in NVG where you're blinding your own people and they letting the bad guys this? see you? They were at night doing this? Yes. It was how they it was it was how they introduced it was just an introduction scene as is what they were doing because the character with Thompson too. <laughs> no other word. Um, <laughs> but the the reason they did that, I can explain why they I know why they did that scene. In now, that I know why they did it. They're a bunch of non-military MFers. Yeah, there yep. is that. But the the character that with the cigar and Chris will know this, and if you've yeah. played. The original Modern Warfare, the lead character in it, or the lead non-player character, is a guy called Captain Price, and uh-huh. that was his signature after that mission. So at the very end of the first mission in Modern Warfare, after you get off the container ship, he pulls up his the traditional sort of SES 1980-style gas mask that they wear and, and lights a cigar, and that was sort of the signature. This character uh, has been with the franchise right the way through. Modern the new modern warfare is a re is technically a reboot and a reset to what the original was was ten years is it Chris or is it a bit longer than oh, that? Yeah, about ten years. Uh, so yeah. it was so the original so modern they went warfare totally Hollywood. ten years ago. The yeah, they went totally Hollywood with it. We can the that that scene everybody was like oh so they the new Captain Price was back. That's why they did that scene. <laughs> Yes, I can it's, understand. It's, it's, it's uh, Luke Skywalker lighting up a lightsaber, but it, yeah. but, it, it, but it was an officer doing this. Yes, he's a well, he's yeah, a sergeant. A lot right there too. I'm sorry. So it's Captain sorry. Price. Sorry, it's Captain Price. He's an SES officer. So it's an officer. See, that's that explains it. He yeah. knows no one's going to come up and butt stroke him in the back of the Kevlar for doing that. <laughs> They're replaceable. Officer. Officers are dime a dozen. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Call Quantico. <laughs> They released the trailer and some gameplay for the multiplayer part, uh-huh. which is um, the way Call of Duty, the way New Call of Duty works. By the looks of it, is you level up a weapon, so you can pick say an M4, you can pick an AK, and then you can go into something called Gunsmith, where you can completely customize it. And I do mean completely customize it. On an, an example of gear for the AK is you can go from a traditional AK, extend the barrel, and put a drum mag on, put optics on it, and turn it into a AK-16, I think, the LMG version. Or you can make it down to like an AKS or an AK, you know, the short barrel version. Yeah, lots of different optics. Yeah, the SU. So lots of different optics choices and things like that as well on it. So they've completely... The way they've made the game is... You have you pick your weapon. You pick a weapon that you want. You can level that weapon through leveling the weapon or leveling with the weapon. Because the way multiplayer works is yeah, have levels for some strange reason. Um, unlocks additional optics, suppressors, magazine types, and things like that. Well, that's so, that's very uh, that's very modern war realistic. Is yeah, uh, and gee, you can probably speak to this. Is when when we were in, you weren't allowed to customize your weapon at all. Hell no. You, you had to turn that into no, the armory after every no. op, and yeah. But nowadays, yeah, nowadays yeah. That, that 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 has totally changed. Yeah. You know, I don't know how the Canadians did it, but you know, 
in the Americas, we had to, you know, it had to look like it came out of the uh, oil skin wrapper, you know, when we had to turn it back in after field exercises. Um, yeah. You were in the I mean, army, it, like, it is, it is very Hollywood. Cleaning you know? that rifle it is very, you got that news again. Yep. It is very Hollywood, the, the, the Call of Duty thing, but it is also you are supposed to be a tier one operator. So, you know, that's, that's the thing behind it. But okay. they, they released okay. the trailer in the metallic, and they put metallic ads to the trailer. Okay. What else, you know? Okay. Well, uh, take your points for that. All right. I'll acknowledge it's a video game. I'll acknowledge <laughs> that tier one operators are the in vogue thing right now. Oh, yes. However... <laughs> what the bleeping hell um hold on in, in, in the game's defense are most tier one operators strictly military or are they pmc slash cia slash yep. nsa they might not technically in the new game you, you play three different types of character i think in the new game are you playing at least two different types of character you're playing a i think it's an SES operator and you're playing a cia advisor that's with the rebels advisor well, well cia yeah. is it's uh, look all, res- all i mean all respect I cia did. cia are, are civilians yeah and what this yeah. is going to mean is that's that's probably your weapon and because it's your weapon and you maintain it you can do whatever you want to it yeah you're not turning that back into a to a, to a you know battalion armory at the end of the day yeah i mean it's cool it's fantasy it's fun it's you know it's just yeah it just when I see stuff like that, the light discipline going out the window, I'm like, are you freaking? In? And these are SAS yeah, it's, guys. It's an old story, G. I mean, yeah. Saving Private Ryan, when Pri- Captain Miller is in the center of the formation and he's in a perfect wedge coming in silhouette over that ridge. Uh-huh. I mean, come on, Private Miller. I mean, I'm sorry, Captain Miller isn't really that bad. Are you really just ready to check out at this point? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got a lot to live for, Captain Miller. You know, the German snipers are like, come on, it's it's too easy. Yeah, um, yeah. That's it. Full, full, metal, full metal jacket. At the end of full metal jacket, these are Marines. You guys are embarrassing me, and they're walking <laughs> against burning buildings, singing, singing Mickey Mouse themes. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, that's yeah. not the Mickey Mouse scene. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> Silhouetted against burning buildings. You guys just want to die. Is it really which that? Which was bad? the Docklands, which was London Docklands, because mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick wouldn't leave Britain at all. So it was all filmed in London. Oh well, that's why I think you work with what you got, Chris. Scary that that that, that parts of London look like that. Chris, tell us what's going on, my friend. Oh, what's going on? I'm playing playtesting the hell, the hell out of Ultra Combat Modern. Hey, you missed the conversation. I didn't know I had the rules. (laughs) I guess it was part of the Kickstarter. You got a PDF. Yeah. yeah, but uh, I'm I'm play testing later versions of that right okay. now. Okay, how's it I'm going? Play testing, it's going well. Um, we've hit a couple things that we've sent off to Colin to advise him that this has happened, and uh, he is uh, looking into those things. And uh, today we are going to be probably upping our game to squad level with vehicles, and nice. then. Uh, tomorrow, I think we're upping the level to platoon level. Awesome. Um, I was hoping to have my Empress miniatures by now, but my order has gotten lost. Hmm. Like, big time lost. Can't, what, did can't you order, Chris? It at all. 
That reminds me. Um, just today, I got some new Empress miniatures in the post, so I'm going to open them up and see what they look like. Which one's scary, Jim? I was kidding around like his shipment came to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my, uh, Chris? Uh, I ordered. They have the generic modern infantry with the AKs. I ordered yeah. ones with Mitch helmets. Um, and I ordered the new. They're the Kurt, the female Kurd figures, but I ordered them so that I could turn them into women in the Ukraine because there's a lot of women that serve in the Ukrainian. <laughs> so I've, I'm adding those to the squads. Um, what else did I get? I got some AGS 17s, the automatic grenade launchers. Oh, okay. I got, uh, Belt fed 30 millimeters. So I get, I got, yeah. And I got a couple 12.7 machine guns. Um, are those the... Yeah, uh, what else? The, I would, I'll have to look uh, at my order, but I, I Are those the DSHKs or ENSVs? So What's that? I was just wondering if the 12.7s, are those the older D, uh, the older douches or the newer NSVs, like the big machine guns? No, no, it's the new ones. It's okay. New ones. Gotcha. I've got douches, but... Uh, I wanted some of the newer ones. Um, so, yeah, we've been play testing that, and we've played a lot of fire team. And now we're playing squad. And while we're working on I, – I realized I didn't have a lot of 28 mil scenery. I had a lot of 15 mil scenery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been making a lot of 28 mil scenery new stuff. And uh, what else are we doing modern? Oh, I got a foot sore order for modern. I've got uh, Ukrainian civilians. Those are going to be included in some games. And I got some uh, Yemen PMCs. All right. And I got Spetsnaz, which I'm, it's the older Spetsnaz they do. So I'm turning those into bringing yeah. special forces. Yeah. So I think that's, that's about it. And I'm looking for a house. That's about it for me. Awesome. <laughs> Well, giving it one to one scale. Sounds like everybody's yeah. in the oven. So, um, we're going to wrap up the show. Um, I want to thank everybody. The next time we get together, uh, we're going to talk about our first wargaming weekend um, and some other things. And it'll be. Is this uh, uh, dust in October? Our world, our weird war weekend. Yeah. There you go. Yep, and um, I figure between getting some dust going and maybe some six mil action there, Jim, we can have a hell of a wargaming weekend. I'm not coming if I can't bring Panzer Leader. Oh, you have to bring it because I think I need to. I need to. I need to borrow. I mean, steal your copy because I think Uh, I'm missing something. One of my three or four copies. Sure, why not? So we'll get more information out to you guys soon. We want to thank everybody as always. We want to thank all our supporters. And um, I want to thank Jim for joining us and Ralph and Chris. Um, Sorry, bud. I, for jumping in late, I know you're hours behind us there in the old great North. Um, So we will definitely get a full show on next time. And uh, if you guys are at Gen Con, have fun. 
Uh, let us know if there's anything exciting coming out. I did talk to Kirk real shortly from uh, Miniature Building Authority. He's having a really good show. Um, so tell everybody out there. And again, happy birthday, Alex. We will see you guys in the next show. Take care. Uh-huh.